sing along. On an autumn day, yeah. I felt so hurt and knew that her dark hair would weave a snare. Uh-huh. That one day I would rule. Here we are. It's the Dinner at Johnny's podcast, and I got the professor, you know... I mean, it's kind of handy since uh, you've been. Here. Yeah, you're living here to get on and do the uh, podcast. How are you, Professor Peter I'm, Beams? I'm absolutely fantastic, Johnny. I wish I could get you to be on. Do you hear how I sound? Do you hear how I sound like very deep and rich? Yeah. You don't sound like that. Well, I'm not a radio man. I know, but you will if you get a little closer to the microphone. Oh, I see. Even closer. Try to try to make yourself sound like that. Okay. How's that? Maybe even I have the wrong microphone. I don't know. Is, is that better? Tap on it. Ah, that's why. Got the wrong mic on. Oh, okay. Is that better? <laughs> <clears throat> so I sit back a bit now. Do you want to start that all over again? Uh, sure. You ready? Okay. Hang on. Take two. Okay. On Raglan Road, on an autumn day. Yes. I I knew. That her dark hair would weave a snare That I might one day rule Professor Peter Beams is my guest on the dinner at Johnny's podcast And that's Van Morrison opening up the podcast Raglan Road Yes How are you, Professor? I'm absolutely incredible Alright, we're getting it going here Thanks for being on the podcast today What are we having for supper? Well, what have we had lately? Oh, I don't even want to go over it. What have we had? Think about it. Oh, we had last uh, night perch. was perch. Mm. We had perch. Yeah. Uh, pasta. Pasta. <laughs> uh, we didn't have steak last night because the doc was here. Yeah, it's uh, my friend who doesn't eat meat. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, you're like ten under par every time you. Uh, Tee it up. I'm feeding you well. We yes, should sir. weigh you before you show up. I don't want to. Professor Peter Beams yeah. is uh, is kind of a, a local icon, uh, as as well as an icon in the golf world. And I'd like to welcome you on the podcast. Everybody's always wondered about you, and they want to know what you're all about. Right. And they all want to know, like, how did I meet you? Yeah. And all that stuff. So we'll yeah. get into that in just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you were born where? In Ireland, uh, just outside of Dublin, in a place called uh, Dunleary which uh, had another name um, before Dunleary, but uh, I was there, and I think I was surreptitiously shipped out in a Moses basket to get into England. We, we, it's kind of shady, but I think that's what happened. Okay. Kind of like getting over the border from So wait Mexico. a minute, so did you end up in, you really did end up in England? Ended up in Cheshire, uh, where... Um, that's where the cats are from. That's right, the Cheshire cat. Lewis Carroll, yeah. yeah, which we'll come to later on. Lewis Carroll, the author who wrote what? Alice in Wonderland. Right. And where the Beatles are from. Okay. Well, and, they're from Liverpool. And that is, might be someone that you uh, aspire to be? Uh, I don't think growing up, but uh, now, oh my goodness, yeah, the, the, the there's a small contingent of uh, just incredible writers, E.B. White. Mm-hmm. Um, San Expiray. So you're, you're, we know you as a golfer. Yeah. Uh, you're one of the uh, top 10 all time golf coaches yep. as, uh, according to who? 
golf, uh, golf uh, digest, or, or I think it was uh, the other one, golf. It's been a little while. Yeah, I think it was golf. It was in 1985 and, they made me one of the okay. top ten. All right. <laughs> I, I suppose you don't lose it. I suppose you get higher up as people yeah, die. Yeah, I would think I you know. get better. Yeah. You get better. Um, and you uh, yourself also played some professional golf in the past. I know I found uh, on the internet, it says Beams leads ahead of Nicholas, which would yeah. be... Who's Nicholas? No, it was Palmer and Player and Trevino. So Palmer is the guy who makes the iced tea. Arnold Palmer. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a terrible thing, isn't it? What a legacy. One of the greatest golfers of all time now, better known for iced tea. <laughs> a little half and half, a little lemon. And yeah, li- did oh, he yeah. really drink that? Yes, he did. Yes. That was his thing? For real? Like he? Just- yeah, well, I think he, when he got off the golf course, he wanted something to quench his thirst. I hope yeah. they're going to pay me for this advertising. Right. And that was his concoction, which, uh, you know, was very, very refreshing, the Arnold Palmer. You, pay- you played golf your whole life? Since I was three. A three-year-old playing yeah, golf? Yeah, three-year-old, yeah. Wow. Is that something like, Is was that like a family tradition to get, you know, like a no, rap. no. My father was, which is very. He came to America, and he actually studied at Boston University on on the legal side. And he fell in love with, uh, I think everybody did, Bobby Jones and Fred Astaire. So growing up in Britain, nothing was, you know, Churchill, of course, uh, but nothing was any stars from Britain. They were all American. Americans. So anything else was second class. So I didn't even look at anything which was British. Okay. Even though there was some. So you think stuff. right now in Ireland they're watching the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial? I think I think <laughs> I think they're watching that all over the world. I'm sure they it's are. Very it's very sad. Very sad. All right. Well, we'll move on from that. We don't want to talk about any sad <laughs> stuff. Right. So uh, you're golfing at three, and then you go to your sent to boarding school at eight. At the age of eight. Yeah. And uh, you um, you got to take that call or no, not? You no. can if it's somebody famous. I know it's like Bill Murray or somebody. It might let's be. See. Hello. Let's see. Let's see. He's going to take it. That's what we like about the dinner at Johnny's podcast. Anything goes. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> they were calling about your uh, warranty. Car, my car, yeah. All right. So um, I don't understand the whole boarding school thing. You don't want to. I went to public school. Yeah, it was like Oliver Twist. So you're can I have some? So more? you're three. You're playing golf with your mom and your dad, and yeah. you're living your life. Yeah. And then at what point? At eight, eight, eight years old, you're sent away. So you you've got love. I mean, just cast yourself back. You've got love. You've got the dogs. You've got everything. And suddenly you're taken by the hand and two hundred miles away and deposited at uh, some. Where, where's mommy? Where's daddy? So you're an eight year old living with a bunch. Two hundred and fifty boys. Two hundred and fifty boys ranging oh. from age what? Uh, from about five to probably 13. And you're being raised by instructors. Bullies. <laughs> Bullies. Yeah, yeah. God, that must have been terrible. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So uh, did they say, hey, get ready, P. We're taking you to boarding school next week. I don't think they did. I don't yeah. remember that, but I had my teddy bear, and I know that when I got to the school, I was going to be in the parrot's dormitory. You probably didn't understand where you were going. No. No, it was like that little puppy. Right. You know, he doesn't know where he's going. And <clears throat> suddenly he's thrown in with the big boys. And my uh, teddy bear was thrown all over the dormitory. And when the lights went down, when the lights were shut off, yeah. I don't know, 7 o'clock, you weren't allowed to go to the toilet. 
So if you wet your bed, it was paraded all over the school the next day that you'd wet your, you were a bedwetter and that would follow you for the rest of your time in school and actually became a great sportsman or something. And, you know, not to get into it, but th- this is where like Harry Potter comes from. All the, This was like the lifestyle. Yep. There. Yep. For the longest time. For the longest time. You're eight years old. Imagine your <laughs> those of you who have kids, imagine sending your eight year old away. And then how often do you get to talk to your parents? I think you got to see them in a term and they have different terms. They had <clears throat> spring term, Michaelmas, which was the Christmas uh and I So ate. like four times a year. Well you you they'd come three times in a term, which I think was like three months. Jeez. Yeah. So, um, that must have been just terrible being eight years old. I mean, that's got to wreck your psyche a little bit. Well, here I am. Yeah. You know, you messed f- up as messed up can be. <laughs> you feel that still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm still doing it. I'm still going to California and still coming here. Right. Yeah, Leaving just, home. Yeah. Doesn't feel right unless you're on the move. Right. And away from your house and, right. and staying in a, in a cot. Yeah. Or wherever. And or that's on, why you're staying at my house right yeah, now. Yeah, right. On the couch. No, not on the couch. Well, in no. Be- we- in a beautiful place. But, yeah. you know, when I went back this last time, I was prepared until things got going to sleep in the car, you know, which. Yeah. I wasn't going to let you do that. No, no. I know. No, but none of your friends. Nobody was. No. So you go off to this school. What was it called? Lawrence House. Lawrence House School. Right next to Royal Lytham and St. Anne's Golf Course, Mm -hmm. where they had the British Open. Okay. So that was a highlight. You were able to golf while you went to this school? Well, I I was banned from playing cricket. So I said, well, I'll play golf. I don't know why I was banned from playing cricket. But anyway, I I became captain of cricket. I I was captain of everything. But, you know, I went and spent my time. And the interesting thing, as a three-year-old, the guy at the golf course was Joe Musty uh, at the club down in Borth, where I grew, grew up for the summer holidays. The guy that I went to at Royal Lytham St. Anne's was his brother. Oh, God. Yeah, Eddie Musty. So it's okay. very, you know, kind of strange. Okay. There, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So you're on the golf team. And- no, no, there's no golf team. We just went out there and played. Oh, okay. All right. And at what point? Okay. So you're going to school, you're doing your schooling. Did you decide that? You wanted to make golf your career. I didn't. Um, I wanted to go into the army. And when one holiday when I came back, my mother took me to a uh, an enrollment place for the army, and I didn't like the guy. He was telling me what to do. Mm. And so I really didn't have any choices because I was dumb as hell. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't want to go in the army then, so I decided I'd become a golfer. I thought it was that easy. Not realizing it was okay. probably the toughest thing you could ever do. All right. So <laughs> when did you compete for the first time in something, whether it's a college uh, game? Or- well, I, I played probably when I was eight down at Borth, where we used to go for the summer holidays. I played there in the whatever the little championships. But the first time I competed and actually was got kind of the – Got the bug. Bug, yeah. yeah. Got, got the smell of it. <clears throat> um, was when I was 17, uh, the people at my club called me Cassius because my hero was Muhammad Ali. And, uh, Cassius Clay. <clears throat> yes, and they yeah. called me Cassius. They thought it was a put down. And I won the Cheshire Boys Championship by 12 shots. Okay. 
okay. which is absolutely, that was only yeah. like 27 holes, unheard of. And it didn't do anything to cement my relationship with the guys at the golf club. They probably hated me even more that I was victorious with my oh, man. Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, you know, saying I was the greatest. <clears throat> Excuse and me. I met Muhammad Ali in San Diego years later. I think it might have been 1971. And that was another highlight of my life. Wow. Yeah. That was that during Vietnam War era, Muhammad Ali? He, like- he, he'd come out and I think uh, he was getting ready to fight Joe Frazier. But before that, he pl- he fought Ken Norton. Ken Norton broke his jaw. Okay. Didn't so, he, he, he was, didn't, he was, he got drafted, right? Oh, he got sent to jail, I think. Right. I don't know whether he went to jail, but yeah, he wouldn't, right. he wouldn't go. That was a whole thing. That's why yeah. I asked you that. Yeah. 1971. But just stuff. so. What a wonderful, wonderful guy! All right, so you're 17. You win this, and then do you, when do you start? Do you do you start deciding I want to try to play, you know, on the same course along with Arnold Palmer? Well, yeah, you didn't. How do you get to that point? Where'd you go? You well, um, in those days, uh, you could go and sign up and play in the German Open or the Dutch Open, and I think that's what I did. I went to the German Open. And I stayed in a tent, and I always remember waking up and rolling out of the tent and rolling in my pajamas onto the first tee. <laughs> the tournament had Literally started. Literally yeah. on the first yeah, tee? Yeah, wow. yeah. So, um, so it was like a festival. Yeah, that was how That was how I started, was, was going and playing the European tour in about 1967. There was no money. Okay. There was no money. And yeah. then uh, I sold football coupons very nefarious sort of gang like thing football coupons which you didn't win you didn't win any money you just pocketed the half a crown in your pocket but anyway okay. i saved up enough money and my, so you were a bookie <laughs> yes and my gra- <laughs> and my gra- and my grandmother gave me some money and uh i i, I took off for south africa well i couldn't even play so i went to south africa and i hitchhiked from Cape Town to uh, J- Cape Town to Johannesburg, or sure. it was Johannesburg. Anyway, so wait a minute. How old were you? Uh, I was uh, nineteen. So now you're nineteen. Yeah, you're in South Africa. Yeah, you, your mother, your grandmother gave you some money, so you were able to hop a plane. Yep, and you're in South Africa. Took three days to get there. Okay, you and know, you're Charlie. playing uh, golf. Yep, with who? Anybody? Oh, with- they, they were the best, Gary. I didn't play with Gary Player, but Gary yeah. Player was down there. Uh, okay. Bobby Cole or, or the uh, the Henning brothers. I mean, there right. were a lot of stars. So, how much money did you have in your pocket to fulfill this? Because right, this is how these golfers do this. They got dough. They got sponsors. Probably five hundred bucks. But this was not your life at this point. You didn't have the sponsors or the dough. I had nothing. No. So you 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 <clears throat> Gary, play. Gary Player heard about me, and uh, I was going on the driving range, and you had guys out there picking up the balls i didn't even have the money for that so my golf balls were all over the driving range gary would be there at six o'clock i'd be there at six o'clock he'd be there at six o'clock at night i'd be there and eventually out of frustration he, he got somebody to give me 10 10 rand or something so tell him to go get a steak and leave this driving range alone really yeah okay. so um yeah so gary these other very- golfers knew you at this point, oh, yeah. Name. yeah. And you were just the guy who just couldn't, couldn't do stop it. trying. I couldn't do it. You couldn't golf. I never I never qualified for the whole season. They called me the holiday maker. 
That was how bad so I was. So this is like a dream of yours <laughs> to do this, and you're, but you've got the determination, but you weren't able to pull it off. Couldn't do it. At that point. Couldn't do it. Okay. So, but didn't you travel from, like, th- there was a number of different matches across South Africa? Yes, all over. Right. So how would you get from match to match? Well, how did they get to match from match to match? Well, in those days, uh, it was wonderful because they had um, American-style cars. They had American-style motor lodges. So what you would try to do is get a lift with somebody. And Terry Westbrook, good friend of mine, would, you know, we'd get into his big Cadillac and there'd be about six of us. <clears throat> we'd, we'd drive to uh, Durban which I don't know, 600 miles by, I don't know how far it was. Sure. And, you know, you you get there and uh, you'd all, people would put you up and uh, that's how we did it. And then you would wake up and you would have a, a spot to play or no? You, uh, they would do four round tournaments. There wasn't any Monday qualifying, but you had to do 36 holes to make the cut okay. to get any money. Well, right. I went the whole season. I mean, unheard of. Okay. Of not making the cut. <laughs> so I mean, we we probably did ten tournaments. Okay. I never made the final. I never got into one final. Okay. All right. Yeah. When did you start picking up a little steam? Uh, never. No. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know you did. Yeah. That's why I bring this up. <clears throat> it's a it's an exciting story. I don't know. I went back to Europe and I played some of those, you know, German Opens and and such and tried to qualify for the British Open in 68 at, at uh, Carnoustie. And I don't really know. It's kind of a, a fog because I was living in London on somebody's couch and my brother came over from Hong Kong and uh, we would, he had a car, so he had a little bit of money and we would go up and down, you know, Britain. Did your brother go to boarding school? Yes. And he played golf too? Yes. And he found golf as an escape. He also both of us, both of you, yes, you and you really lived your lives doing golf, yes, okay, yeah. So let's talk about the Australian Open. This was the one that you were able to actually compete in. Well, no, before that, I went back. I mean, first of all, you got to have a lot of guts to go back when you failed. I that's what I'm saying. Your determination is incredible, beams. So I went, I went back, and again, you're like 19 or 20 years old. Yeah, I went back to South Africa, and it's funny how in life, I'm sure everybody's had it, how. You get a wake-up call in life. I'm sure you have too. And I'm, you know, in another tournament. I've started with 78. I'm going to go the whole season, never qualifying. Hmm. The whole season. I will will do it again. Yeah. People are so kind to me. So this English guy came up to me and he said, what did you score? And he knew what I'd, I'd scored. He'd seen it on the scoreboard. He'd shot 72. He wanted me... You know, to go, oh, 78. He wanted to feel good because he was up there, you know. Yeah. So I was so furious. And I had had a lesson from a guy called Bobby Locke. And Bobby Locke is one of the greatest golfers of all time. Gary Player will tell you that. Uh, He was certainly the greatest putter. Came to America in 47, won 11 times, beat Hogan like a drum. Just an amazing. Anyway, he gave me a little tip. And I hung on to that tip. I can't really remember what it was, but it slowed me down. End of the story, I shot 67, course record. Nobody broke 70 that day. After one lesson? Yeah, just one tip. <laughs> one because tip. He, he was he was an icon. 
you know, for him right. to speak. To so him. he's not kidding. Cause I take lessons from Pete and I watch him give lessons to other people on golf and he can give them one tip and it changes their whole game. Yeah. So it can happen. It can happen. Okay. So now <clears throat> you got a little momentum. Well, I've made the cut. Oh, holy moly. I've made the cut. Okay. But not only have I made the cut, but I'm that not that far out of the lead. Okay. So the third round, <laughs> the third round, you've got to blow up after a course record. I shoot another 69. I move up closer. I'm only about four shots out of the lead. Final round. This is the one. 69. Finish fourth. Get a check for $750. Biggest check I've ever had in my life. Wow. And $50 for the lowest score. And then, and in those days, 750 was probably worth a couple of thousand in okay. South Africa. Right. <clears throat> so everybody, they they all came around me, a big photograph. You blew it at the bar? And no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> but uh, it was... Um, That's amazing. So at that point, you're like, okay, wait a minute. I can't give up now. No, I can't give up. And then a lot of people who'd laughed at me yeah. uh, were just in amazement. Right. Yeah. And you really credit it to that lesson with from Bobby Locke well, or that but, tip? Yes. It, it would be like, you know, when I came to America, my hero was uh, Cousin Brucie. On the radio? I, I would listen to him when I cleaned my clubs, uh, you know, clean. He's a clubs. New York City DJ, for uh, those of you who don't well, know. Well, it'd be like you, you know, he was one of the big guys in the business in those days, sure. right? So uh, having Bobby Locke even know who the hell I was was a big deal. Gotcha. Yeah, and you just, you know, it didn't really. And then that changed nice everything. Words. This is like a movie now. Yeah. I like this. So here you are, underdog. You don't give up. Right. You show up because you're like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm determined. I'm going to do it. And you suck. Yeah, I suck. But then suddenly you get a tip and all of a sudden you're in the top. Changes my life. Right. You're in the top four. You win and you, you get a check. I'm four. Now you're like. Is that Top make, 10. Does that make you professional at that point or no? Oh, no, I was professional, but the, know, well, the point was... You're not professional until you get paid. Yeah, the, the point... <laughs> that's right, but the point was all the all, all the people who spurned me, who didn't talk to me, yeah. because I was... You were the lowly. Oh, horrible. Lowly. Yeah. Now, I'm the man. Okay. I'm, all right. You're feeling good. Oh, yeah. You're rolling around South Africa yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you buy like buy a leopard or anything like a lion or anything cool or no? No. no all right. Just wasn't enough out. money, but <clears throat> anyway. New sport coat. I think I'm I was, just trying to figure out what you did with the money. No, I I, I probably just put it into the next tournament. All right. You know, so, all right. But then, so now the next tournament comes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I had some other good finishes. It didn't it didn't disappear. All right. But then moving. So this was '69. Okay. And. You know, Gary Player had always been kind to me. It didn't matter to him because he saw himself in me. He'd had it, had me over to his house. He'd given me clothing. He'd given me money. He yeah. was very, very kind to me. So yeah. this kindness, amazing, because it happened with Ben Hogan being kind to a guy called Jack Fleck. He was kind to Jack Fleck at the, at the U.S. Open at Olympic. And guess what? Jack Fleck got into a playoff with Hogan okay. and beat him. And beat him. Yeah. So fast forward, 1970, right. I'm now in Australia and I'm playing in what basically it was called the Dunlop Masters, but it was basically the Australian Masters because Trevino was there, uh, Tony Jacklin, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer, Ray Floyd, you know, all Bruce Devlin, all the biggest names. All so, right. I, But nothing, none of it compares to when you met Johnny Spazzano. 
No, it didn't. Okay, just checking. Yeah. All right. So anyway, um, I'm uh, I'm staying in the hotel with Bob Shaw, a great Australian golfer. Yeah. But I'm staying on the couch in the right. All right. So I'm not even in the hotel. So anyway, <laughs> one of those things that happens. I'm leading after 36 holes. I'd wanted to become the greatest golfer in the world. Right. So you could make. So a you're case. still determined. Yes, you could make a case that I had become. Oh, for 24 hours, one of the greatest golfers in the world. I was beating Palmer. I was beating Play. Anyway, I played with Gary Player, and because Palmer, he, he shouldn't have been playing in our group, but he was. they put him in our group because he was the star attraction. Right. In those days, there were no phone cells. And there were like 40,000 people. I was shaking. I could hardly Wait a get There's 40,000 people watching yes, this. Yes, yes, All yes. Right. So it's a big televised big. thing. Yes, big You had the cool pants on. Yeah, everything, yeah. Arnold Palmer had, you know, he was there. He uh, very kind, very kind. And Gary looked the other way. And Gary looked okay. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. Okay, yeah. I'll let you tell the story. Go ahead. So anyway, uh, you know, I could hardly get the tea, uh, the ball on the tea. My hand was. So now you know this being televised. In the past, it wasn't televised. No, for you. Okay. No, it was, it, the, so it was like Wide World of Sports. Is there ABC? Uh, no, I think Channel Nine. Oh, okay. of, 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 uh, all right, whatever. It's televised. Uh, yeah, Sydney. Yeah, okay. it's big. And anyway, uh, I played horrible, which when you're playing. Do you think you were nervous? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I never, I hadn't even met Palmer. I knew Gary, of course, but. So wait a minute. You were in the lead, but then all of a sudden. I blew up. You weren't. Yeah. But I was still at the end of three rounds. I was still only three shots out of winning. Okay. But I didn't have the mental capability. Ended up shooting. Even par, Gary won on two eight two, and I shot two eight eight. And it's crazy because I googled Peter Beams. Yeah, uh, if I if you Google Peter Beams Australian Open, there's a New York Times story. Yes, and it talks about how you're in the lead. Yes, ahead of those guys, yeah. and it mentions all the names. So yeah. we know everything you're saying is is authentic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you don't win. No, as a matter of fact, you don't even finish in the top ten. I finished in the top ten. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any money from that? I think probably $450. Now, is this is in Australia? Yes. Is this when you ended up going swimming with the bare naked women? Yes. <laughs> and I got... Right, I, now, I know these stories. I know these stories because Pete and I hang out. So, set the stage for us. You won the 750. Yeah. You're relaxing. Yeah. You I, met, you'd met some ladies. Yes. And I'm, I'm staying... So just we'll back up a little bit. I'm okay. I'm staying at a hotel which is three miles from the village of Surfers Paradise. I actually had my golf club stolen there, and the uh, yeah, this it was is like quite, a rock star lifestyle now. So anyway, now you're like a pro golfer. The the, the 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 bar where everybody would hang out. Yeah, the guy there offered me a piece of land between. Uh, Surface Paradise and three miles up at the hotel right. I was at. You wanted to trade you fifteen hundred. Okay, no, not for the clubs. The clubs right. are long gone. All right. I fifteen hundred was fifteen hundred dollars uh, for beachfront property in Australia. Uh I, you know, I mean, I probably could have scratched it together, but it's only worth like one point five billion now. Oh, I know, it's yeah. be big. Yeah, it's so. bigger than that place now is bigger than Miami. All right, so before, so now you're relaxing. You'd met some ladies. You you guys decided to go skinny dipping at midnight. At midnight. Yeah. In the ocean, one of the worst shark invested oceans in the world. But right. incredible waves. Do you remember the women's names? No. Okay. They were they were they were just friends at the bar. They were just beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So you 
You, you're swimming along, and what happens? Um, I felt like I'd swum into some uh, seaweed. Okay. And, and was, you're just having a good old time. I mean. Well, I probably had too many beers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I came and out. Next thing you know. Uh, I, I start feeling the eye come out. Your eye is burning. Burning, yeah. Burning like it's never felt before. Yes, yeah. So, and what do the women do? Do they see you? Uh, well, they were great. They they led me back to the hotel, and they kind of kept me warm. Okay. And uh, next day, they got me on a train from uh, Surface Paradise to Newcastle. Needless to say, what happened? You I got, got st- I got uh, stung by a Portuguese man of war. A Portuguese <clears throat> man of war. It's got Google- seventy foot tentacles. Google it. It's got yeah. seventy foot tentacles, and it's poisonous. Can kill you. And can kill you. Yeah. You got stung in the eye. Across the That's eye. God paying you back for swimming naked. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're blind in one eye or what? Does this affect your golf game? No, because uh, this was amazing because the doctor that I, again, another, you know, miracle of life. Was it Crocodile Dundee? No. Okay. Uh, but, Crikey, mate! But, what happened to your eye? But I met. I did. I. I. I did used to watch him on television because they had that show at midday, and he went on. Yeah. And I remember that he was a bridge painting. Yeah. Yeah. And and he went on as a blind, uh, dart throwing, tap dancing, because uh, he wanted to take the Mickey out of the guy, and that's how he became huge. Listen, what to, a lesson learned from, uh, Peter Beams, and. Um, the, uh, what's his name? The, the uh, Paul Hogan? You, no, no, not that. <laughs> another famous Australian. Oh, what? Uh, I want to call him the bounty hunter, but it's not the bounty hunter. It's, uh, who, he ended up, he ended up passing away because he got, he got, he, he was, uh, he, a famous guy. I can't, I, we need more people here to help us. Please someone up well, there. Tell me what he did. Well, he had, he had a, he, he uh, he he was part of the Australia Zoo, and he was he was an adventurer. Oh, he was always yeah. on TV. You know what I'm talking I about. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And he ended up getting stung, he, stung. Yeah, just like you. Yeah, stay out of the water in Australia. Yeah, well, you you know you have to give respect to the different species. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it didn't mean to. It, yeah. I just swam into it. But the, but right. the end of the story yeah. is. So this is about I I don't know. It might have been seventy one. It doesn't really matter when it was, but the doctor in the eye doctor had been messing around with a new technology, lasers. And I don't know when they, they actually came into being. Steve Irwin. Steve Irwin. That was the name I was like. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, you so, just come, you happened upon this great surgeon who does laser. Well, it, it lasers weren't in yet. Yeah. So, this was experimental. And he did. Yeah. He said, uh, you know, I can't guarantee I might burn your eyeball out. But he said, you know, if, they, if that poison goes one centimeter, you're going to lose your cornea. Okay. I've got to cauterize it. Oh, so, whatever. That means burn it, by the yeah, way. Yeah. So, whatever he did, uh, he saved my eye. And I had, you know, it probably took me a couple of weeks for the swelling to go down. Right. And then I, I was okay. Okay. But later on in life, I lost the sight. So did you go home with the women after you get, come on, this is, I did this go is a home. podcast. We yeah, can talk no, about Yeah, no, I this. did go home, yeah. I yeah. told you, they put me in the middle of the bed and they both, <laughs> they both. They both kept you warm? Yeah, kept me warm. That was nice. Yeah, because okay. I was, I had a fever. All right. Man, that's a bummer. Yeah, it was. That's a, that'll wreck the whole night. Yeah, they were amazing. All right. So, okay, I wanted to get that story in. So now your career 
at what point do you say, I got to stop? Well, we're jumping way ahead. Oh, there's a lot more? Oh, okay. I mean, it goes on for hours and hours. Oh, okay. Hours. Yeah, I can <laughs> well, get, we got to keep moving. I can give you the end because I'm in, I'm, I think it's the Australian Open at about 1979 or something like that. Okay. And Gary Player came out and he's leaving. He'd finished second or third. Yeah. And he said, what are you doing, Pete? And I said, well, I'm going to New Zealand. He said, Pete, it's time. It's time, Pete. It's time, Pete. Yeah. Because I was Gary's still a super great guy, still a quite a celebrity in oh, the golf world. He's called right? me. He's right? called me. Yeah, at a bar. Yeah, he called me at a bar and from he, the bar. No, he was playing in the Masters. Oh, okay. And uh, somebody had given him a card, my card, and he he got and he he called me. And That's that was nice. A, yeah, he's just a great guy. Nice guy. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so he said it's time, Pete. Yeah. Give up. Yeah. And you you believed him. You listened. Yeah, well, before before I listened, how I w- ironic though, because think about this, Pete. Yeah, you listened when your other idol gave you a golf tip, and then yes. you listened when another golf idol told you to give up. Yes, well, you didn't. It wasn't like give up. It it was just that you know he was pointing out you're not making it. You're not making any money, and it needed somebody as big as sure. that that I respected to say, you know, you've done your best. You did well. Yeah. So that's the first part of your life. Yeah. And how old were you when you kind of gave up? What was the, the goat on that? I, I was about 35. So you were 35. Yeah. So you gave it a good 10 years. I was about 15. 15 years, yeah. right? So, but, but the end of the story was uh, that before I gave up, I went to New Zealand and this was 81. And... Uh, uh, the I was playing the last thirty six with Jack Newton. Jack Newton just p- passed away just a couple of months ago. Just a, no, a month ago. <clears throat> yeah, and and it's funny because I don't, I never had heard knew of who Jack, it was, Jack. But, but I heard you tell the story. Right. You told me the story. You go, oh, Jack Newton. He was famous. Um, he he famous golfer. He lost the British Open in a playoff, and he finished second in the Masters. Right. He was a superstar. And you and him were a little bit of a rivalry. He kind of no, it wasn't a rivalry. He just didn't like. He didn't like me. He probably didn't like me because you know a freeloader. What it, well, <laughs> it wasn't the Australian way. You know, whatever. <clears throat> he ends up though his claim to fame. He walks into a propeller. Yeah, had his a, arm cut on a tarmac yeah. while he was. Boarding a plane or yeah. getting off a plane. Yeah. And it's funny because that's the one thing when they eulogized him, they said professional golfer who walked into a propeller passed away. And yeah. I knew exactly <coughs> who, who that was. was. Yeah. But you you and him did become friends. Well, it's an amazing story. I mean, I never had all these people because he didn't like me. I, you know, I, I didn't reciprocate. I liked him. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't like me. So that's, yeah. but anyway, so we're playing the last 36 holes. And I'm playing in the New Zealand last tournament. And uh, I shoot 71, 71, 72, 71. And that's kind of, to me, was conquering the game. Yeah. And I'm in the locker room and I hear a voice. Nobody's in there saying, you know, it's over. It's over. So there was some kind of spiritual thing. And the door opens like Arbadeus, you know, the black light comes through. And, the, you know, and there's a man standing there and he goes, Beamsy, come and have a beer, mate. And it was like I'd won the Masters. It was Jack Newton uh, putting a crown, so to speak, on my head. Giving you respect. Oh. He was giving you respect. Yes, he was. Just before that, though, you heard the voice, it's over. It's over. 
and then Jack Newton comes and gives you respect, and that kind of gives you a little closure. Oh my! You're God. like, I did it. I got my respect to my peers. And I, I went. To, I went out in the bar, and there was a visible sort of because a lot of the British players were there. A lot of big time players who knew Jack and knew that he didn't like me, and there I am sitting next to Jack having a beer, and there again. See, Jack was good friends with one of my good friends, John O'Leary. And John O'Leary... Not Irish. I know. And he was like, John O'Leary and Simon Hobday were two just, oh my God, they were the baddest boys in town. And uh, John O'Leary became the head of the European PGA. And much love to him when I went to Europe. He gave me two badges that I could get into any clubhouse and any golf tournament. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. But yeah, he died. Well, you're very respect. Well, <laughs> sorry, rest in peace, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. Not because he gave you the bad. No, no. So, um, you're respected amongst your peers. There's no doubt about it. Now, that's the first part of your life. Yeah. Now let's talk about your um brand ambassadorship and uh your connection to Ashworth clothing and then later Link Soul clothing. Yeah. What's your connection <clears throat> with John Ashworth? I'm a <laughs> Um, Lacosta, I think we've talked about this before. I played with Evil Knievel. And, and of course, I forgot to say, <clears throat> then, then how did you end up in America? Uh, <laughs> we forgot about that, too. Yeah, I, but anyway, you're in Lacosta. We'll get back to you yeah, coming to America. And, um, you're with Evil Knievel. All these. Again, hanging amazing. with all the rock stars, yes, and, as and, usual. And I would go down to the driving range, and I was working on my book, Walk Through the Park. Mm-hmm. I was working on that swing, and there was a young guy there working the driving range and I he was one of my experimental guys and he went on to be number one at Phoenix and a great golfer and it was John Ashworth. So when he became Ashworth, he'd give me clothing and we kept in touch and then we lost touch. So for those of you who don't know, I always remember I would go to JC Penny. Yeah. And I would get a white I need a white collared shirt because I was going to DJ somebody's <laughs> wedding. Yeah. And I'd always buy the Ashworth one. That's right. Because there was Ashworth golf clothing it was cool. It looked good. Yeah. Yeah. So John started his own golf clothing company and clothing company in yeah, general. Yeah. And he just happened to be someone you were teaching when he was a youth. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. And today he looks at you still as someone who's a coach and a mentor. And I know you're featured. Like there wasn't, there was a time when you'd buy a piece of Ashworth clothing and Pete's picture yeah. was on the tag, right? Yeah. Of every piece of Ashworth clothing around the world. Yeah. Right. John later sold Ashworth. Uh, made a whole bunch of money, I guess. I'm yeah, assuming. yes, you did. And then uh, <laughs> later started a new company uh, called Linksol, which uh, famous uh, golfers like Bubba Watson wear now. Yeah, and uh, I do too. It's great Ste- stuff. Steph Curry. Steph Curry wears it. Yeah, great, amazing stuff. Nice little boutique golf brand that now you see exactly every time you turn on the TV, <laughs> another golfer is wearing Linksol. Yeah, and it's gorgeous, well quality. A good quality yeah, stuff. You right. know, the kind of stuff you buy that just lasts. Yes. Like five years later, you still have that same shirt. Yeah. So yep. hats off to John. And I got a chance to meet him, and he's a very impressive guy. And he lives out in Oceanside, California. That's right. And that's where you go in the... in the. See, everybody <clears throat> wants to know all about Pete. Yeah. Pete goes to Oceanside in the winter. Then he comes to Watertown in the summer. So yeah. uh, uh, there's so many things we want to find out. How the heck did you end up in Watertown? Because you kind of call this your summer home. You love yeah, it here. I love it. You love the North Country. You love the people. <clears throat> yeah. How many years now have you been coming to the North Country? Uh, 21. 21 years. Yeah. So after 21 years of coming here, you know everybody. Well, I know a few people. I don't you know everybody. I know. Not you know, like you. You know everybody. Yeah. 
And then an Oceanside, you know everybody too. Yeah. And then you're there in the winter, here in the summer. Yeah, I do, I, I, I do have to tell you about Oceanside because another of my great friends who's great friends with uh, John Ashworth is Gabe Hogan. And Gabe Hogan, Gabe. and he was going to give the game up. He was, he said, you know, I, I'm 14, whatever it was. And anyway, he looked after me, and the worst thing he did was he gave me beers at half price and and food <laughs> and everything. So he was just absolute great, great friend. Gabe owns, he's a restaurateur yes. in Oceanside, And California. the best restaurant in California. Which is called? LTH, Local Tap House. You're ever out in Oceanside? Oh, my God. Go to, yeah. Everybody's going to be there anyway. You're going to know. Yes, exactly. So, uh, all right. So, how how you make it to America? And uh, when you come to America, do you have a place to stay? No. Yeah. No, that was again. A- you blame this on the boarding school <laughs> lifestyle. Yes. Like where all of a sudden you're just displaced. Yes. <laughs> so and you got to make do. So with it's whatever's a, around. It's an amazing story, Johnny. Because so I come over and I probably got five the you know the five hundred dollars. You land. So I did have a contact. And how old are you now? Oh, I don't know, 19. Okay. So. Um, oh, that I, was the first time you came to America? Yeah. Okay. So I do have a contact at Princeton University because I tell people I went to Princeton. Okay. But anyway, <clears throat> I had gone into New York City, and I, I think we can say this without So being, you flew into New York? Yes. And I go into the city. You're an immigrant. <clears throat> You're from another country. Oh, no, You're no. 19 no. years old. No, I'm just a visitor. I have All nothing. Right. I have All nothing. Right. No, no. All right. Anyway, uh, I go in and uh, there's this uh, happens to be a black policeman. Okay. And he's about seven foot tall. He's bigger than Shaq. Okay. And his arms are bigger than my legs. Okay. And I said to him, I said, sir, could you tell me when, where Princeton? And he says, move on, buddy. Move on. That was kind of a shock to me. Okay. Uh, so anyway- I get a taxi. It's New York. I, exactly. I get a taxi to go somewhere. I don't know where. But again, it was a black taxi uh, cab driver from Jamaica. Okay. That's why I have an affinity. Jam- the West Indies. <clears throat> yes. He had an affinity with me. He took me, he took me home. The, the biggest piece of luck that I could ever have because he lived out in Westchester. Yeah. Right. Is, so he had, you know, okay. which was kind of an unusual place. So to you, you can't do this nowadays. You no. just, you meet a stranger who's driving a cab and you go home with him. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he introduces you to his family. Oh, they were fantastic. His yeah. son was in Vietnam. <clears throat> and you explained to him, I, I just got here. I don't know anybody. No, he didn't, he didn't even want any explanation. He was just, they gave me food. I think the next day he took me to Westchester where the tournament was on. Okay. And, and, and then showed me you know how to get onto the Long Island Railroad. I mean he was just okay. An amazing so you were person. here to play. Yes. Okay. Yes. I so, thought this is when you were coming to stay. No. Okay. And I uh I ended up going to Princeton and uh met my friend there and I I got a job for the summer uh cleaning golf clubs. Okay. So that's when I people say, "Well, what was your school? And I said, I went to Princeton and then I told them I was cleaning golf clubs. That was a golf club. <clears throat> but it was a fantastic place. Okay. You still do golf lessons. Yes. And if anybody would like to get one, you can. Yeah. Professor Beam is, Beams is an interesting guy. There's so much we haven't even talked about. Your book, um, the fact that you have, you know, uh, you know, a real creative side, an artistic side. 
I mean, my whole dining room at my house has got, it's like having a five-year-old live here now. Yeah. And (laughs) there's a whole craft center where you create and design. Yeah. But you claim you're not an artist, but yet I have clay statues, sculptures, paintings. You have an incredible way of almost drawing like kind of cartoons. Yeah. One, one time we were talking about, you know, an event we were at. And next thing I know, Pete's got a drawing representing that. The strip club. Pete's up. He also <laughs> likes to, Pete also likes to make fun of the fact that I like ice cream. <laughs> I like to eat. Don't you Pete? Yeah. You kind of pick on me. You make yeah. like little cartoons yeah. of me. Right. But I, I, I gotta be careful because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting up there too. You're Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're a guest. Yeah, you yeah. remember that you're right, a guest. Right. How did you and I meet? I think I was uh, getting ready to throw myself in the Black River. <laughs> <laughs> I was at I was at Arts Jug picking yeah. up a pizza, and it yeah. wasn't ready yet. Right. So you came. So up. I w- I went down right across from I think it's uh, Huntington Heights. Yeah. There's a little water park there, right. Waterworks Park, I yeah. think they call it. And you were with your kids. Yeah, and I walked down by the river, and they were throwing stones in the yeah. river. They were little then. Yeah. And uh, you were there in the woods, and I was like, I thought you were a leprechaun because you're like, oh, hello, boy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. And uh, of course, I told you I worked at the radio station, and you came and found me. Yeah, and we were friends. Up, we've been friends ever since. It's a long time. A long time. Yeah, yeah. So, any words of wisdom for uh, in uh, you know uh, in regards to following your dreams? Because you didn't give up. No, and you really did accomplish what you came to do yes yes well now um i'm I'm, i've been working for 25 years on the boy who rode clouds and uh, i wanted disney to uh, produce it and disney's been and seen me three times and uh you know it's it's a cut i keep telling pete hold out yeah i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't yeah, I would. Just, I'd make what, it yourself. If I were that's you. what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, the boy who rode clouds. Yeah. You're gonna find it soon, somewhere. Yes. If you haven't. Yes. And uh, I know that you and I have traveled to New York City. Yes, we we went, met the uh, woman who's the literary agent. The literary agent. Yeah, that's that's yes. big. Yeah. And then there's a girl in town here that I met when we went to the big garage bash. Yeah. Um, she's a big game player. And she's going to help me make the game because I've got all the pieces to the game, but I don't know how it's played. Tell tell everybody what The Boy Who Rode Clouds is about. The Boy Who Rode Clouds is very simple. The universe is in the shape of an eight. There's 13 to 18 dimensions in, in our uh, cosmos in this Milky Way. And what happens is the book of all knowledge is in the center of that, and it's stolen by a guy called Judas who wants power. And in taking it, he fractures the main dimension, which is the dimension of all creation, into a question mark. And I think that that's where we're at at the moment in the world. We're in that question mark. And the boy's job, because he has the, he's the chosen one because he has the star in the palm of his hand, is to course the mortal coil. And by going through trials and tribulations, he brings back the chakras and is able to, the, the chakras are kind of like the rainbow and, and put them in order and make the question mark back into the eternal eight. It's a lot more than that. 
but that's exactly what it's all about. Yeah. And we actually recorded a whole audio book. Yeah, we did. I could upload it onto the Dinner at Johnny's podcast page. You and I Good. have to talk about that. Yeah. Because uh, we really could upload every episode and the whole North Country could listen. That would be great. We so should. We should. Be watching for that soon. We'll talk about it, Pete, and yeah. see if that's something you really want to do or not. I'd love to. All right. Well, thank you so much, Professor. A lot of people always wonder where, you know, where yeah, this way. guy came from. And he's my friend, and I do appreciate it because he's a great help to me. Um, you watch my dogs, don't you, Pete? Yeah, I do. We did, did they know we had a new dog? If I, yeah, I send you out for beer if I need beer. That's a good, good point. You're good yeah. like that? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like your butler. You help me. <laughs> yeah. You help me. Jeeves. You help me move uh, exorbitant amounts of uh, wood, wood for the pizza oven here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I appreciate that. Not to mention your great company and, and a good friend. So, uh, but I do admire you. And I think you're one of the cool human beings that we thanks, have here Johnny. in our community thank that you. makes it better. So thanks for being on the podcast with me today. What are we eating? Well, I don't know yet. You, oh. know, you know how I am. I just got to go to the fridge and we're just going to go for it. How about steak tonight? Oh, yeah. That okay. would be nice. Maybe yeah. some steak and vegetables. Right. Yeah, that would be okay. nice. Yeah. yeah, we can work on that. Okay. All right. Thank All you, right. Johnny. All I right. really enjoyed that. All right. It's the Dinner at Johnny's podcast. Professor Peter Beams is my guest. And uh, I hope everybody has a great day. And be watching. Who knows? The Boy Who Rode Clouds could end up uploaded here sometime soon. Yeah, that would be good. I'd like that.